Upload Path podcast is a creative brew of nature magic practices. Each episode will have a different theme linked to the particular season. And on occasion, there will be interviews with like-minded guests. Insights will be shared from witch walks, journeying, nature connections, oracles, and wise woman talk. Come sit in a virtual circle to honour sacred wildness. Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Antlid Path podcast, Sacred Activism. And my exploration is from a pagan perspective around the topic of taking a stand with a spiritual awareness on those issues that really matter to us. And I offer different examples of what sacred activism can look and feel like. And it's not an easy topic to explore or share on because it brings up such deep, heartfelt emotions. So this is really kind of skirting in and around possibilities of what it can be. And I share a couple of my own personal experiences, including a childhood one and one of more recent years where I create ritual and magical approaches to help support what I really value. I have a guest who is Anna Shepherd, traditional witch and activist, also from Dorset. And my conversation with her is in the middle of the episode and I will share announcements at the end this time. So now to create our sacred circle, allowing your eyes to close or soften, feeling into a sacred sanctuary to invite the unseen allies who look on us with kind eyes to share inspiration and enliven our worldly minds. Rooting down into earth, take a deep, slow breath. Stretching up from earth to sky, take a deep, slow breath. Sensing the expansiveness of space far beyond. Take a deep, slow breath. Notice your body and sink inwards to your inner landscape. Find yourself in a circle of old trees, a pool of water in the centre. Focus on the surface of the water, quieting your mind and soothing your heart. Noticing any reflections. Feel the tree guardians around you firmly yet softly holding the space. Feel their ancient roots, trunks and endless branches. Sensing their co-created web of vibrant life force energy below and above ground. We are all part of this. 
And this is where we come from during this exploration. We welcome these trees, fungi and other eco-allies into this space. May we learn from them. May they help to inspire our sacred acts of kindness and courage in the world. And take another slow breath as you notice the surface beneath you and the space around you where you are right now. So what is sacred activism? I really like this following definition from Andrew Harvey of the Institute of Sacred Activism. He says, Sacred activism is a transforming force of compassion in action that is born of a fusion of deep spiritual knowledge, courage, love and passion with wise radical action in the world. The large-scale practice of sacred activism can become an essential force for preserving and healing the planet and its inhabitants. So within his definition, there is this marriage of spiritual wisdom and courageous, focused action. And for me, that is more about being motivated spiritually to act rather than from anger or from ego. So therefore, it reduces the defensiveness and those kind of emotions or attitudes that can potentially leave you feeling drained or exhausted. And it also brings through the otherworldly and that inward or spiritual awareness into outer actions. I cannot separate the otherworldly, the spirit allies, and spiritual awareness from what I do and what I am. And as an animist, I feel it's all part of the whole ecosystem and it seems natural to bring this all into one's activism. From an early age, I was motivated to act on behalf of nature, on behalf of animals, plants, trees in particular. And I had an innate passion for nature and still do. And one of my earliest childhood sacred acts was related to the culling of the harp seals. I was not even 10, I don't think, and I had been so distressed by seeing repeated images of white innocent seals being clubbed to death by barbaric men that I did not know how to process these intense feelings. Something seemed to take over me like a wave of compassionate courage and I found myself walking door to door in my local neighbourhood asking for donations to I4, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, an organisation that I belong to. And I had pictures of the seals too with blood on their fur to show people. Bearing in mind I had very little confidence with people at that age but somehow I managed to do this and I remember it so vividly. 
It was like an initiation. I felt like I was not alone whilst doing it. I felt like I was walking on a wave of light. I have no doubt, no doubt at all, that I was not alone in what I was doing. And of course, this was in an age where it was a lot easier or safer to walk up to strangers' houses and speak to people about such things. And in recent years, I have taken to creating specific and very focused rituals to invoke either protection or other intentions for supporting certain key places, trees, animals, and so on. And we live in a very rural part of Dorset, as I've mentioned before. And so I do invoke allies to help with keeping foxes safe, for example, from the local hunts or to protect trees from developers' chainsaws and many other issues. And I find that these ritual acts really help me to keep feeling hopeful and also seem to shift the energy within and around me. And there is no doubt that such work really does help. I also use my voice to spread awareness and do this as mindfully and assertively as I can without getting into too much deep water or arguments. Often ego can really interfere and we can go down various rabbit holes in terms of trying to persuade people they are wrong, for example. It's probably best to stick to the key message and keep repeating it, rather like an affirmation so that you don't get too personal with people. Look how easy it is for people to get angry about so many different situations. And I was reflecting on the refugee situation in the UK, for example, and how defensive lots of people can become about protecting their turf from refugees, as if they're some kind of threat or about property developments in rural areas. And of course, we're only human and it's so easy to become emotionally charged. But if you stick to the key message you are looking to spread with a compassionate and firm approach and listen, listen to others without defensiveness. Because otherwise it can become so easy to get disheartened and upset particularly by the unethical views of others, but we must not let this deter us. It is hard to sustain activism over time without becoming exhausted as it takes so much energy and focus. But when you weave in activism to your rituals, mindful walks and other spiritual practices, it can feel so rewarding connecting and also a privilege. I'd like to share an example of a short ritual I have done um, to protect foxes from the hunt. And this can change depending on the time of year, whether it's deep in the middle of winter or early spring, for example, how I'm feeling, the weather, all sorts of different factors come into it. But generally speaking, I will call on protective allies. And one particular ritual I did, I really invoked 
and called on Bramble. And I called to Ellen, Ellen of the Ways, to guide the foxes safely away from the hunt, to light their paths to safety. And with Ellen, other allies, other antlered allies, to be with them. And I called on a mist to deter and confuse the hounds and people on the hunt, to send them in a different direction, away from the fox or foxes. And using incantation, sigils, runes and affirmations, as well as a spell candle, I drummed up strong energy with my reindeer drum. I rattled. I chanted. And then settling up the raised energy and sending it out through the web of weird, through the energetic pathways. And I connected with a vision a very strong vision of the mist, of the bramble and of foxes sensing their way to safety. And for me, this is really key, being able to feel and see. The vision is part of how I work as a seer. It's important for me to see and to feel and to be in that space. So it is a type of shamanic journey, if you like. I've moved or transported myself or part of myself into that domain. And then I come back and I ground it all. And I ground myself and I close down the space. And I leave the runes and sigils and anything that I've written, as well as the spell candle burning on the hearth for some time. And then I dismantle it when I feel it is right to do so. And I will also do shamanic journeys. And I will also go out onto the land and talk to the spirit allies of a particular place and create sacred circle uh, spontaneously um, when needed. There's all sorts of ways that you can do this. For me, it's about working with this unseen and seen community of allies and not acting alone. This is definitely key to my sacred activism. And I find that positive and healing results come from this. Sometimes I will turn to my oracle decks. Sometimes I will turn to my allies and talk to them and ask them for wisdom and inspiration to come through in that way. It depends on how much energy I have available and time. But I will always make space for this, even in a busy day. because. For me, it is part of my responsibility, if you like, as a priestess of Ellen.
So now it's time to introduce my guest, Anna Shepherd, an environmental and sacred activist in Dorset, who started the Cleaner Clutie campaign last year. I'm so happy she is here to talk more about her spiritual approaches to an urgent environmental concern. And appropriately, we are recording this segment on Earth Day, though in our walk of life, every day is Earth Day. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Hilary. Um, and thank you for having me as a guest on the Anthropoth podcast. I'm a practicing traditional witch with my roots buried deep in the soil of Dorset in the south of the UK, like you said, and someone who takes my responsibilities towards the guardianship of these sacred isles very seriously as an integral part of that practice. Indeed, it's a way of living rather than an add-on. I'm keen to share with you about the Cleaner Clutie campaign that you started to raise awareness and bring dialogue to the long tradition of leaving Cluties at sacred wells and other sites. This has now become a problem in different ways, as many of the offerings being attached to trees, for example, are plastic or non-biodegradable. Also, I'd like to talk with you about the sacred acts in ritual and with our allies seen and unseen that we can create to invoke intentions of protection, safety, raising awareness and so on. Can you share the reasons for you wanting to prioritise this campaign as the one you really sought to put energy into and what led you to set up the campaign? Well, it's a long story. I'll try and keep it short. Um, the actual campaign, the Clean Clutter campaign, was something that was birthed about five years ago, actually, but only in recent times has it got to this stage. Um, but in brief, the, uh, the tradition of leaving um, rags torn from clouts or a person's underclothes as prayerful acts of either healing, apotropaic or votive folk magic, after charging them with the sacred water found at well sites and springs, is um, undoubtedly an ancient one. It's part of our tradition um, within these British Isles, and it's something we all have a deep folkloric memory of. I think. So it's something we all feel connected to as, as inhabitants of these, uh, these lands. These clutes, as the rags are known, as they were known traditionally, then rot away, releasing that prayer as they disintegrate from the seen breathing world into the unseen one to be met by spirit and answered by way of a helpful intercession or response that fulfills the need of that person leaving the rag, basically answering their prayer. Certain spring sites and wells have long been worked with in this way, and many such now have become Christianized, as have so many of our pagan traditions and places. In modern times, we have continued relating to a great many number of places that we deem sacred to our pagan ways, and Clutiehain has naturally become part of our language when speaking to spirits. This is no longer restricted to well sites and springs, but can be seen at monuments, henges and stone circles too. Basically anywhere with an obvious pagan site now becomes a centre of this clutey attention. I've been noticing that these ways of relating to spirits of place have been gaining in popularity, particularly over the last 10 years or so, and with the rise of neo-paganism. And the general awareness of pagan cultures and folkloric practice within the wider public as well. This is not just a pagan issue. I want to make that very clear. And many sites which never used to become a focus for clutey hanging have very much become so now. This, for obvious reasons, hiked up a good few notches over lockdown and post-COVID, and I've certainly seen that ramping up in the local sites near to me. 
As you say, the nature of these offerings is problematic because they do not disperse naturally over time, being non-biodegradable, as the original magic demanded that they did. But instead, these things build up and become a huge environmental hazard to wildlife, to pets, to farm, livestock, and to the body of the land and to her waters, and ultimately to ourselves by association. Most people don't think that ribbons are a problem because they view them as cloth, but these are primarily made from polyester, which does not rot down for hundreds of years. Non-biodegradable objects are left as memorial tokens too, which is a recent modern phenomenon. These are a huge issue because they cause damage by quickly clogging up and spoiling these beautiful places. I don't know if you've seen the images of the Monlochy Well site in Scotland, but people leave all sorts of physical objects there, which then become really manky and mouldy and slimy over time. And 99% of them will never rot away naturally. So leaving such memorial objects naturally goes against the nature of the original practice of clutie hanging, as these objects never do make the journey into the unseen world at all because they don't rot down. I liken this new form of behaviour at sacred sites to how you would behave if you entered someone's house, but that is exactly what you're doing at a sacred site. You are entering a place inhabited by certain spirits of place and by the animals and plants that make it their home. You wouldn't leave a photo of your dead dog in a plastic cover tied to their kitchen table, would you? Particularly if that table was already groaning under hundreds of such things. No matter how much you loved your dog or wanted to remember him, you'd find a better way of doing so, probably by putting up a picture of him in a special place in your home. Sadly, our sense of self-importance when it comes to the environment in general has led us to utterly forget the good old ways of relating to the spirits of place and other than human persons that live there. This is the problem, in a nutshell. The modern misappropriation of the old practice of polluting hanging has become a new form of virus, and it is spreading and multiplying everywhere. This is why I formed the Cleaner Clutie campaign in order to raise awareness about the issues surrounding the current Clutie epidemic, and to attempt to encourage a better and more sustainable way of relating to our precious land and spirits of place. The Cleaner Clutie Code put some very simple suggestions forwards that anyone can follow. These aim to solve this current Clutie crisis. I will add that I felt compelled by my allies to do this, particularly because of my relationship with a sacred site, Nolton Henge, that has been heavily impacted by Clutis. I've become increasingly aware there and elsewhere that just removing the non-biodegradable objects from the site myself or with a few helpers is not anywhere near enough to prevent them all coming straight back. Education is the key. And we need the help of bodies such as the PF and OBOD to take this forward so that a clear message can be sent out to anyone who has any confusion or concerns regarding taking non-biodegradable objects away from such sacred sites. Thank you. Wonderful summary there. Um, yeah, I have to say that it just doesn't make sense to leave items that can't be safely integrated into the space. And I often feel concerned for the welfare of trees, especially when I see tightly wrapped plastic ribbons around stems and branches, knowing that that will be damaging the tree's health. And it's about empathy and feeling into the beings that live in such spaces. And as a fellow animist, I sense the discomfort really strongly amongst the plants and trees, the earth, the water. When, yeah. I see, when I see rubbish at the side of the road, 
but also yeah. this is no different to me at a sacred site where offerings are left it's still stuff being left and like you say if it's not rotting down it's not making that transition into the sacred domain where it can be blessed and integrated more fully people do naturally get very upset at the idea of their sacred object or their prayerful intention that is somehow got a physical form either in a ribbon or an object or something of that nature being removed but i would say you know if you're making a prayerful act uh, whether it's leaving something or you're you're creating a ritual that involves leaving something behind if it, if that thing remains in the environment and therefore becomes a pollutant which essentially is what you are doing if it doesn't rot away then how can the act be truly sacred how can it be a prayerful act if it's doing something that is environmentally damaging if we as pagans profess to love the earth first and foremost as our parent you know our great mother then how can we assume that our personal needs overwhelm that sacred nature that we are invading i don't know it just doesn't make sense to me it's an oxymoron you know it is an oxymoron and i think you know the fact that we come from the earth it's like we're doing it to our own body that's how i see it. it's no different it's we're polluting our own body in a way and i think that disconnection that's been so prevalent over centuries now the way that we've disconnected from that interconnectedness even as pagans sometimes people forget people forget that which they come from <laughs> and that which we're part of it's a very simple thing yet it's it seems like so common now to to actually forget that that simple truth what do you think helps with such activism and what would hinder its flow for you oh absolutely education education awareness and publicity to help this kind of activism and lack in those areas hinders it completely i think that's the problem we're facing at the moment there is a lack of educational leadership at the moment and that is a problem because changing hearts and minds particularly where an individual's prayerful practices are concerned is never going to be easy or popular you know and bodies that have reach uh, to get the message out risk unpopularity by supporting any kind of practice or best practice in terms of spiritual freedoms as people see them until people begin to understand the reasons why such changes are so necessary it's kind of why i continue to advocate for people such as the pf and obod to step in and take up this issue and make clear and helpful guidelines like the clean Clutie code about how to re relate sustainably when working outside in the landscape, because genuinely I'm seeing that that is lacking. You know, it's, it's what's hindering progress in making changes that we all need to make here. I just think right. it's got to happen. And education is absolutely the way forward. Because if people come in, particularly if people coming into pagan, paganism, sorry, from um, as a neo-pagan coming in as a newbie, you know, coming in from a place of exploration it's really helpful to have a few ideas a few kind of guidelines they don't have to be onerous they can be easy simple things that anyone can do it doesn't have to be difficult or expensive 
the changes that people can make are are not are not hard um and that's what makes this so frustrating because actually changes can be made so easily and so quickly it's just about getting the message out there and you know for me when i'm listening and and contemplating this it feels very much like the environmental ethic at the heart of bodies like you mentioned obod and pf pagan federation you know the environmental ethic is core is core to such bodies work so it, it feels strange that something like this couldn't be suggested you know i mean i can understand there's a reticence to dictate behavior however there are ways of communicating there are ways of sharing information and inspiring people and i think sometimes when we get bogged down in the heaviness of environmental damage we forget that there are ways to share this kind of information in an inspirational way to breed inspiration in people's behaviors because when you're inspired it becomes a very different kind of thing it almost becomes something you look forward to going to a sacred site because you're inspired to do the best you can by that space and to interact as best you can with the spirits of space and there's so many beautiful ways that this could be come the norm like you say and it doesn't have to be you shall not do this and you know that Absolutely. kind of thing if it becomes dogmatic then then it's it's lost before it's even begun it's got to, as you say inspire people to want to make the changes to want to be a part of something more sustainable. Um, that's absolutely right. And I do feel that we will get there regarding the larger bodies. I think there is movement for change already. I, I'm beginning to feel a bit of movement there. It just needs to keep on moving. And hopefully, you know, we'll see something arising from that. Yeah, I live in hope anyway. Yes. Have you used ritual or similar as part of the campaign? And what do you feel it adds to it? And if you can give an example, that would be lovely. Yes, absolutely, I do. And absolutely, I have. Um, I think it's central for me to be communicating with spirit about this as a, as a witch um, and as an environmentalist uh, and as an animist. Those things are all part and parcel really so it makes sense to be talking to the spirits directly about my concerns and asking and petitioning them for their help i petition the spirits to place in certain impacted areas to communicate their disquiet with those who seek to use them for their own ends without seeking to ask what shapes the objects left should take for example seeking to influence people's behavior for the better and I've sought to protect some areas from actual harm by invoking certain spirits to guard them. I've done that particularly in the woods where I live, which were under threat from developers. So it's, it's related, it's not the same issue, but it's still an environmental concern. I've also appealed to my tutelary spirits for guidance. And this is really important and this is essential, really. It's something I would do first before I attempted to do anything else is to seek advice and to go to spirit and ask and say, what do you need? What do you want me to do? How can I help? Those are the things which are driving this campaign and are core really to the whole thing. Um, and it's, it's so vital for me to ask for their help in mediating this message to as many people who will receive it as well. It wouldn't get anywhere without their help. 
I'm absolutely convinced of that. I've asked for a complete sea change of awareness and a sea change of opinion to be made manifest. And I know it's a big ask, but then it's a big problem and it's got to start somewhere. It's all got to start somewhere. And I'm, I'm certainly not alone. There are other people doing this work out there too. You know, I'm, I'm not a lone voice in the wilderness. Really what I would love is for us all to be joining the dots. Mm -hmm. And that's where spirit can really step in and help. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you feel that your, your nature-based spirituality as a whole helps you to keep motivated with this and other work? Because activism is known for being demanding on all levels. And, you know, it's really important for us to step into our spiritual practices, isn't it? When we, when we are involved actively in, in um, some kind of activism. So I'm just wondering how that spirituality helps you it absolutely is core. I think it's the nature, as you say, of any activism. One goes in peaks and troughs with it. You pour out a lot of energy and then you feel drained. And then, you know, grounding oneself, uh, recuperating is also important in order to gather pace for the next kind of wave. To sort of go at it constantly is not the right thing because you should always be tempering what you're doing with where it's going and what those results are, are you know, what's going on out there you need to be reacting to what's happening as well not just persisting with your own aims goals whatever it might be which is why keeping an ear to spirit all the time is vital so that you're listening the whole time and responding to what is what is required from them i don't think i could bear to exist if i didn't answer need where i saw it in the sacred landscape around me I am an animist and any harm to the body of the land is harm we do to ourselves naturally and the living, breathing body of the great rhizome mother, our first parent and first ancestress, the earth on whom we and all those other beings who share her body, seen and unseen, depend utterly for life. How could I not do this, believing this with every fibre of my being as I do? The sacred body of the Great Mother sustains and feeds us, all of us. And we shouldn't ever desecrate it. It is all of our duty to be in service to her wherever we can. It's all of our concern, not just mine. And until all or the majority of people at least feel this way, there's reason to keep striving. And that is my motivation. Yeah. Everything's connected, as we said before, and I really like the reference to the great rhizome mother, the potent creatrix with whom we're yeah. all connected to. And in the spirit of the Antlered Path podcast, we will end with a poem to consolidate this sacred exchange. And you've chosen one of my current favourites, Anna, which I'm really pleased about to share. It's um, Lost by David Wagoner, and he writes, Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. You must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. 
If you leave it, you may come back again, saying here, no two trees are the same to raven, no two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing this and wishing you all positive developments for the campaign journey, however it needs to be. And to find out more about Anna's campaign, please check out Cleaner Clutie campaign on Insta and Facebook. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. So now it is time for the oracle of the episode and I chose a Celtic Uum from my bag of Uum discs as I felt a tree ally was needed for this episode and I chose Aspen and this is also referred to as poplar in some of the Celtic tree oracle decks and as they both come from the same genus of populus They share similar associations and energies. And here in southern England, I'm more likely to see a poplar than I am an aspen. So I can connect into aspen's energies through the poplar. The Latin name of the aspen is Populus tremula, the trembling poplar. The aspen has distinctive round leaves with wavy edges and pale undersides. And they grow on long, flattened stalks, giving the tree the appearance of shimmering in the wind. And this is quite synchronistic for me, as I did a walking meditation by the river yesterday. And the other side of the track is a marshy area, which has a number of grey poplars along it. And I noticed one really tall one in particular, whose branches were really shaking. And the movement of the wind through the canopy and the sun dappling through the leaves really had a mesmerising effect on me. Aspen is closely linked to the Fae and other worlds, and Highlanders thought of Aspen as a magical tree. An aspen leaf placed under the tongue, for example, would make the bearer more eloquent, traditionally seen as a gift from the Fae Queen. Furthermore, there were several Highland folk taboos, including those against using the wood for fishing or agricultural implements or in-house construction. These suggest that the aspen may have been considered a fey tree on a par with the rowan, which has similar taboos. Sadly, trees afforded such pagan respect often suffered a reversal of fortune in Christian mythology. Thus, all things fey became evil and the poor aspen tree was seen to tremble in shame for having supplied the wood for the crucifixion cross. It seems a shame, doesn't it, that this beautiful tree has become associated with fear and loathing. 
Of old, the aspen was a tree of heroes whose crowns of trembling leaves gave them the power not only to visit the underworld, but also to return safely. And similarly, the aspen crowns people placed in ancient burial mounds may have been to allow the spirits of the deceased to return to be reborn. And I've also noticed that aspen um, is connected to Rhiannon and Lord Aron, the Welsh gods of the underworld. And of course, Rhiannon is also a Welsh deity, Welsh uh, goddess. And Aspis, the Aspen's Greek name, means shield. And amongst the Celts, its lightweight wood was indeed favoured for making shields, not only for physical barriers between warrior and enemy, but also in terms of magical qualities to safeguard the bearer from psychic as well as physical harm. So the protective nature of the shield tree or aspen extended to the general population too, and like the rowan, it was a popular choice of tree to plant close to dwellings and communities. And so um, contemplating the theme of this episode, sacred activism, I'd like to call on Aspen or Poplar to be with us as we focus on our own sacred acts to help us to learn, to help us to protect, to help us to be shields, to help us to be shielded also and to weave in the wisdom of this sacred tree ally as we grow and as we share our spiritual wisdom and activism with others. So now I come to the end of the episode and just like to share again about my Kofi page. If you enjoy what you're hearing on the Antler Path podcast, and if you'd like to support the Antler Path through the Kofi page, please do follow the links in my Instagram bio and also in my Facebook updates. I'm very grateful for any support I receive. And also do check out um, my events pages through Ticket Source. There's lots of different retreats and meditation sessions coming up. I'm really excited to be able to share these with people out in person again. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. And I'll bring the episode to a close by closing the sacred circle. So finding yourself back in that sacred ancient grove of trees with the pool of water in the middle. And just sensing into this space again and noticing any changes in atmosphere or energy and how you feel. Drawing in the inspiration or knowledge that you need to bring back into your worldly life. Giving thanks to allies who look on us with kind eyes for weaving in creativity 
and wisdom and presence. Giving thanks to the trees, to the water, to the fungi in this sacred place. Taking a slow deep breath. Bringing this sacred connection into your conscious awareness as you notice the surface beneath you and the space around you. And move back into your day or evening, whatever you're doing. Just noticing what inspirations and reflections come through for you in the coming days. Blessed be.